I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch. folks welcome back to another masters episode of ginger and dutch here on the ginger and dutch podcast it's here it's arrived the masters is here but more importantly folks ginger and dutch is one year anniversary dutch is as a full-time host is here dutch come on in i can't believe we made a year man i can't believe we made a year i'm sitting here in uh in the garage right now, um, looking like another lockdown pending, uh, doing this remotely. I'm practicing. Actually, I've got a, a hard ball here, and I'm working on a my new split finger. I was watching uh, the big boy that you called out from uh, the Angels the other day. They're pitching and, uh, and rocking the ball as well, and I think maybe I might start taking up pitching. Well, I think you might be a bit late on that one, Dutch. Uh, well, I don't think four. you'll ever quite hit uh... – Shohei Otani's uh, 101 mile an hour fastball that he's got going, but well, I got I'm 44. I think I'm up to about 80 right now, so you never know. Yeah, you're you're working off of a jacked uh, gun there, though. <laughs> oh, that's exactly, and it's all about those jack guns. I was talking about my with my buddy about that, and uh, with the jack guns, uh, he was saying how that's the case. But in any event, yeah, that guy's unreal. Although he got hurt, and another big injury. Uh, um, obviously, you saw it there with uh, Fernando Tatis. Sounds like he might be out up to six months. Uh, pretty disastrous start for a couple big names and some promising uh, future stars in the uh, in in baseball for sure. Yeah, tons going on in the baseball world. Jays off to a good start. Um, some some typical ebbs and flows. You know, the Orioles sweep the Red Sox, so baseball will be something we'll be following along uh, all summer long, and and I'm sure. With uh, like you said, with more lockdowns and strict restrictions coming, uh, baseball something that more people are going to get into as as we move on. But we got to yeah, and and, 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 and and yeah, and hold on before you go on that. You know what? I obviously a huge congrats for 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 making this uh, a year. I know you we started this a long time ago. Well, obviously, it was a full year and uh, the start of lockdown. And who would have thought that that two guys would have been able to bring on some really really cool guests? And I know you're going to continue to do it. Um, as you do uh, very well, and you've been the backbone of the uh, this whole operation. And, and I'm not going anywhere. I'll be around for, uh, you know, uh, we got a little surprise on how we're going to roll with this um, in the coming weeks. And I know you're going to take over and kind of go solo. And um, But I'm looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, uh, it's, been a, it's been a great run, and, uh, and you've done a hell of a job with it. And uh, continue the ride, my friend. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, 53 episodes in 52 weeks. I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed uh you know, may have not enjoyed each and every one of them, but they've enjoyed a few of them along the way. And For you sure. know what? We're going to uh, relaunch it, revive it, change it up a little bit and uh, take a couple weeks off. We'll be back in the end of April, I believe, around the 27th, 28th, just in time for the NFL draft and the stretch run for the playoffs for uh, NHL, NBA. Baseball will be in full swing. So uh, and golf, you'll be kicking around for golf as well. So uh, not to worry out there, listeners, we'll be we'll be around. Give us a couple weeks off and we'll uh we'll find our way back into your uh your listening schedules so um let's let's get right into it tonight we got a jam-packed schedule as we always do we're talking march madness nhl trade deadline and of course 
we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Augusta National and the Masters. But uh, let's get to uh, fresh off of it. Last night's victory, the Baylor Bears, Scott Drew, reviving the program all the way back from 2003, from the dead, almost out of Division I NCAA basketball, and now 2020-21 champions. What do you think of the final, Dutch? I know you uh, you made a few shekels off of it, so well done there. But what do you think? Yeah, it, it was a it was a disappointing, uh, and I'm sure you know you, you listen to all the talk shows right now, and everybody talking about it. It was a disappointing ending to a to a, a great tournament with all the protocols that they had to put in place. Uh, I thought that the final four game, obviously the best game of the tournament, was you know, against Aga UCLA uh, with the amazing buzzer beater that which everybody saw on, on the Saturday game. Um, but to the finals, listen, the, it, it was all Baylor. You know, the first half, they, they just absolutely stuck, stepped on their throats early. They were, they were like caged animals that just came out and created eight turnovers on that, in that first half. They went wild from three-point land. I think they were like seven for 12 um, in the first half, which is, is, you know, they're known for that. They were uh, the best team in the country for, from three-point land. So, they they just dominated. I thought I thought at halftime when 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 the Zags got it down to ten, I thought they were going to make a run, but nothing changed. Baylor just continued to just to put the pedal down. They ended up forcing fourteen turnovers, and I said this to you uh, in the shop today when we were talking. I I firmly believe that and you can say best team in the country or not, but I I firmly believe that that Gonzaga just the nerves were. You always say it, they're kids. They, they, they just, the nerves got to them. 14 turnovers is, is unheard of for any, you know, big name team, let alone in a championship game. And, and then, you know, Baylor continued to, to bury them 10 for 23. I think they were um, from three points that when it was all said and done, the Zags were only five for 17. And there's your difference. Turnovers, three points, Bob's your uncle. Congratulations, Baylor Bears. I, I, I thought they did a hell of a job and uh, they deserve to win. Yeah, listen, it, it um, you know, t- turnovers, no doubt. But it, it, the thing with turnovers, like when you when you look at the numbers, hey, fourteen turnovers, th- they averaged eleven in the tournament, all tournament long. Yeah, it, it's 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 also it's not only the turnovers, the type of turnover that it's timely, that, yep, that you got, and and what you saw early on, like you know, twenty three points or twenty four points off of those turnovers, that's crucial. And the type of turnover that it was, for some reason, I think they thought they that Gonzaga, they they wanted to get Timmy to me what it looked like in in the pick and roll at the top of the key, and numerous times that he found himself with the ball, you know, twenty twenty two feet away from the basket, and all of a sudden that pressure D hit him, and that's just not a spot where he's used to uh, being. Yeah, he's used to picking and popping and and taking the seventy foot seventeen foot jump shot. And and dive into the rim off of a slip on a screen, and 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 then making his way onto the block and posting up. Those are spots that he's used to being. He's not used to being two feet outside of the three point line trying to handle the ball with a guy who's three or four inches smaller and much faster than he is. And and they pressured him. He turned it over a couple times. Um, quick foul trouble by the uh, the freshman Jalen Suggs. And just like you said, Gonzaga got out of the rhythm. You and I both know the way to beat them was to get your way into their bench because they absolutely have no bench. They were, they're a six, seven man roster. And, you know, with Suggs going down early, that's a big loss. Timmy having to get a blow and, and regroup himself after some early turnovers. And like you said, you're down 17, 10 minutes into the game. Gonzaga hung in from, from there on out, but 
never way got never got their way close enough to uh, to really make it a game. Yeah, and their big guns were just weren't their big guns, like you said. Timmy really struggled. He had a bunch of turnovers there, as he said, and and Corey Kisper was just not not good at all uh, during the game. I just thought that Baylor's um, attention to detail on defense was unreal. They they were scrappy. They they did not hesitate to get their hands in, and and they they you know you mentioned it to me. You know I think it was probably seven eight minutes. Uh, you know uh, heads up. There, you know tons of fouls here on their big man could be a factor, and they it seems that they were willing to take that chance to and and then once they got hot hot shooting and Butler and a couple of the boys just started you know making everything um they were willing to take that that risk and and it paid off clearly because they they really didn't need it and it was a landslide victory and they coasted and you know from the 10 minute mark in the second half they coasted for the rest of the game yeah and and that was the kind of the second point for me was the difference in just the three point shooting you know between Mitchell starting the game off um you know, they open up seven of 11 in the first five or six minutes from three point land. Yeah. You know, everybody's hitting Teague's hitting Butler's hitting Mitchell's hitting um, Myers hitting like they, they were just all hitting. And, you know, the Gonzaga wasn't, you know, Kispert was not hitting from three, you know, Nembart didn't get anything really going. Um, Suggs, he, he took it, him to the second half to get the three ball going. And, you know, that was the difference. You get punched in the mouth and, and they continue to hit threes and, you know, they had opportunities, you know, they got the ball with 12 minutes to go down nine. You got a shot to fight your way back into that game. But, you know, you, you, you miss that possession two coming back the other way. Then the three ball. Next thing you know, the leads back up to 16 at 10 minutes. And at that game, at that point, the game's over. Right. Yeah, it, exactly. It becomes lights out. And, and then, you know, let me ask you this, because I know we're going to go into this kind of segue here. But, you know, do you think coaching kind of played a factor at all in this game? I mean, it, you know, the pregame coaching for sure, just on the way that Baylor came out. But, you know, uh, you know, Coach Few decided to to go into his, to the to, to a zone there and it caught Baylor off guard and um that was when they when the zags started to creep back in but i really like uh, the way um the way baylor handled it and uh, how they adjusted but do you think that the coaching was a major factor or, or no i think the coaching in the in-game coaching i don't think so i think mark few tried a couple things to get his team back into the game tried to, some things to to throw off baylor like you said with the zone and and you know the the one three three one three two or the one two two press a couple different things that he tried and he was just trying to find his way, trying to find a spark or turnover to do whatever he could. But where I do think the coaching came in was, was going into the game in the fact that Scott drew, you could tell that Baylor's game plan was to come out and punch him right in the mouth. And, and we're going to, we're going to force the refs to, to make foul calls on us. We're going to get up on them. We're, we're better athletes than they are. We're going to go to the lane. We're going to crash the boards and we're just going to, we're just going to be physical. We're going to out physical them. Uh, we're better athletes and we're, we're going to be more physical. And to me, that's, that's, that's not the, like a team and players just don't come out and do that. That's the coach driving home a mentality that, Hey, this is what we're going to do and let them stop us. And they won't stop us. Don't worry guys. We're going to do it. And, yep. and, that, and you could see that with, to me, you could see that with Gonzaga. They, they got out on that court two or three minutes in and you could see in their mind, they're going, Holy shit! These guys are fast. These guys are physical. They're probably because can you play basketball, Dutch? You know, within thirty seconds of being on a court with a guy, whether that guy's a better athlete than you are, or if you're a better player than him, hands right? down, hands and, and down. You, yep. you know right away 
that, okay, I got to be crafty. I got to be smart. This is how I'm going to handle them. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to maybe be, try to be more physical with them. Touchy, grabby, feely, pull you in the jersey, doing all those tricks of the trade if he's a better athlete than you are to try to be able to keep up. And yeah. I think Gonzaga saw that right away within the first three minutes. They, they saw a beast. They saw a beast in the force that they've never seen before, and they didn't know how to handle it um, until they got settled in into a brawl. And, you know, they, they, they held their own for a while, but that beast was just too strong, too fast, too good for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Yeah, and, you know, a huge congrats to the Baylor Bears. Uh, it was a deserving win. It, it would have been really exciting. We, You know, everybody was talking about it. We, we talked about it even way back at the start of the season. I mean, these were the number one and two. It's only happened five or six times where the top two – teams in the country pre-ranked um end up playing in the finals and it, it just unfortunately it was disappointing but you know the better team won uh at least for this game the better team definitely won so onward and upward and uh you know um you know the new season they'll start uh, doing all the recruiting and start flipping around uh, as they go you you were talking about uh we were talking briefly about the transfer window um explain to me on how that's going how yeah, that happens. before you before you um, before we get over to the transfer window, because I do want to get into that. I want to make one more point and I haven't heard much about it, but I think COVID had a factor in this game and not in, in regard, regards to the tournament or anything that's happened in the last two and a half weeks with with the uh, with the tournament in Indianapolis. But I think Baylor had a slight advantage and, and why they had a slight advantage was there was a there was a game way back in. I believe it was early January that was scheduled for these two teams to play Gonzaga and Baylor one and two in the nation. And it got canceled probably an hour and 20 minutes before the game was supposed to happen due to some COVID things. I truly, truly feel that I, I think if Gonzaga would have been able to get on the court with the Baylor bears one time before last night's game, I think that game could have been a little bit different. I think they would have been a little bit more ready. They would have been a little bit more prepared for the athletes and the physicality of Baylor. I think that game would have helped Gonzaga more than it would have helped Baylor. And it it might've been a little bit different. And brings there brings into coaching again, because then coaching could have been a factor because you know how coach Hughes done and what his, uh, his record and what he's meant to the program in, uh, in Gonzaga. So um yeah you're right it would have definitely been a different factor whether it had been the same outcome or not we'll we'll never know that but uh that's a great point to make and it's funny I was looking up their schedule the Zags um you know last week and just going through all their games and and you know that game kept popping up man it would have been nice to see if that uh changed things up at the start but anyways we'll never know for sure so under the transfer window, huge, huge change in uh, in literature with uh, with the NCAA across the board, men's and women's, um, in terms of the transfer window now. So typically before when you would transfer Dutch, you would have to sit out a year. And that's now changed. It is a full-on open transfer window. Um, there's no more red shirt net after a transfer. There, you know, there's no more any of those rules. It's it's wild, wild west. You want to you wanna go from one team to another. So um, I think the the big point is is that you're not going to see these these two and three year type of the Wichita States and Fred Van Vliet and those type Sam Baker and those types of teams that are going to kick around here. I think we're going to have a lot of movement here um, in terms of guys going to the NBA, um, guys transferring. Like Syracuse already lost two two guys already gone, transferred out off the 
out of the program onto another team. So um, it's going to be real interesting, real fun to track throughout the course of the year. And it's, it's almost NCAA's version of free agency. So what you're saying is, is whoever has the most secretive money. So, so Duke and UNC uh, are going to look to try and get some big names in there and uh, get their program back to uh, where they're supposed to be. Uh, in other words, so there'll be a little bit of shady action going on for some of these transfers and uh, you know, call it a day. No. Yeah, there'll be. I, I can't argue that one. Hey, it, it, sometimes it's not what you know; it's who you know, right? And and I think what you're gonna see is is you know the perfect example in a game we watched last night. A guy like Meyer, right, comes off the bench for Baylor, wins, right? There's a guy that could go to, you know, a let's just say a Creighton or one of those an Oklahoma at twelve, and and he could go and he could start for them. Yep. Right. He's, he's not going to start for Baylor. He's coming off the bench, but he's good enough to start somewhere else. So so somebody like that, you know, those that four through six range that those guys and girls that don't feel they're getting quite getting the opportunity where they are. They're going to they're going to bolt out of there and go find somewhere that, that they can get on the court, you know, 30, 35 minutes a night, showcase themselves for um, what the, all these kids want. And that's WNBA or NBA. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. And, and, and so they, so they should, uh, you know, the windows are so short with professional sports and take what you can get. We're all silly enough to, and all the advertisers and everybody are silly enough to, to make these, these kids, uh, turn into multimillionaires. So, you know what, and it's fast and furious, you know what, good for them for doing it. It is what it is. Yeah. And I think it comes back to that whole, you know, now the NCAA's got they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, so this is the way to give yep. back to the kids yep. after making the money off their backs for all those years, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So Roy Williams retires in UNC. Hubert Davis is in. Brings us to tonight's Who's the Goat segment, brought to you by Ginger and Dutch. Dutch, this is all time. We're going to get away from current. This is all time. Who are the top five NCAA men's basketball coaches because there's some great honorable mentions on the women's side. Great women's tournament as well, by the way. Arizona-Stanford, phenomenal final right down to the end. Um, But we're going to keep it on the men's side because the men's side just finished up. Top five men's NCAA basketball coaches. Who do you got? Oh, you're not throwing me for a loop here. I'm going to just throw Pat Summer out, or Summer, I should say. What's her last name again? Pat, Pat Summit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Summit. I was going to say Pat Summer all, but yeah, Pat Summit. And um, no, we're not talking ladies NCAA. Yeah, yes, you're, you're, uh, your fellow Dutchman and Tara Vanderveer, uh, for sure, in Stanford. Uh, she would be up there, no doubt, right? Yeah, there's a few of them. Uh, there's a few of them. But yes, as far as the NCAA, mine's pretty simple. I was, you know, kind of thinking, uh, you know, am I going to go with, with titles or, you know, it does as that's why I was kind of picking your brain as, you know, is coaching become a factor? Well, of course it does. I think in tight playoffs in their conferences and when they get into the tournament, I think coaching can come a factor, but you also got to remember, you know, the, 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 the guys that I'm going to say for the most part are all from big name schools that have the top recruiting classes. So, ah, it's a, I'm in a kind of a conundrum here. Is it, is it, are they the best coaches because, or is it because of the kids that they get or, or, or what? Because there's, there's hundreds of amazing coaches in NCAA, just like last night watching two guys that, that were coaching and neither of them are obviously on our list here. So my honorable mentions, I'll just throw it out there right now would be, um, you know, be uh, Olsen, uh, would be Sutton, uh, Jim Baham, uh, Dean Smith, those guys didn't make my top five, but they, they, they obviously could make my top five. So 
I'll go simple. Number five, um, put UConn on the map. Absolute stud, won over 600 games, seven Big East tournament titles, made four Final Fours, and I believe three national championships. Our old Denison Huskies, sorry, not the Dennis Huskies, uh, the UConn Huskies, Jim, or John Calhoun, number five. Number five, Johnny Calhoun. Yep. Number four speaks for itself. Coach K, everybody knows who he is. 30 years with Duke. He was unbelievable. 11 Final Fours, won four national championships. You you just cannot go wrong. Not even talking about Olympics because he was there. Um, All-time leader in Division One. I think he's at 925 or something like that for wins. He's my number four. Number three, they named the bloody arena after the guy. Another massive, massive program. And that is Adolph Rupp, 42 years as a coach, all through Kentucky, plus the including the Kentucky Wildcats. Okay. Um, same thing. He made six of those teams made the final four. Went on to win national championships four times. He's a no doubt, no brainer, simple. Number two, the best coach ever, in my opinion, in in we'll say in amateur sports, throwing the chair across the rung, across the course. Oh, come on, no you, way. You gotta Bobby. put you gotta put him in there, Mr. Bobby Knight. He won eleven Big Ten regular season championships, advanced to the final four, four times, won three national championships, and he's second. By the way, next to Coach K, he's got over 900 wins as well. So I got him in there as number two. Number one, if you don't have him as number one, then I don't know why we're even having this conversation. Um, It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. I've got very little on it because there's nothing to talk about. And that's the UCL Bruins, UCLA Bruins, 10 national championships. Nobody's even close to that. And that's the big man, John Wooden. Love it. Love it. We're actually pretty, pretty close uh, in our list. My honorable mentions, uh, I got the likes of Bobby Huggins. Got to have West Virginia Bobby Huggins in there. I like Huggs. Yep. I got uh, John Calipari. Uh, and I know he's he's a greasy. He's a greaser. But uh, you know what? He's a, he's a great coach. Uh, from Memphis to Kentucky, uh, the program's taken a little, little bit of a dip uh, this year. But he'll be back. He's just too good of a recruiter to, uh, to not elevate that program again. I, I'll give Bobby Knight the honorable mention, but he does not make my top five. And I'll give John Thompson an honorable mention as well. Uh, right. Towns alum. Number five. Okay, this guy's taken four separate programs to the NCAA tournament. Providence, Kentucky, Louisville, Iona. He's won it with two different programs in Kentucky and Louisville. Seven Final Fours, 22 trips to the tournament. Absolutely one of the best coaches not the best individual out there by any means, uh, but you know what? We're not uh, we're not ranking individuals. We're ranking best coaches, and that is Rick Patino as my number five. Yeah, I like I like Rick Patino, and I should have had him as an honorable mention as well. But that's a good fit. I like that. Yeah, my number four, same guy. Hey, you you don't like you said you don't name an arena after you after you for nothing. Um, Adolph Rupp, you went through the stats, four championships. A historic run in Kentucky um, as my number four. Number three, fresh off retirement, going into the sunset, coached two massive programs in his career, Kansas and, or sorry, not Kansas, Kansas and UNC, 30 trips 
to the NCAA tournament, 79 and 27 in those tournaments, nine final fours, three championships, all within the last 15 years, seven time ACC uh, tournament winner. That's Mr. Roy Williams. Why I got Roy as high as number three, love the way he coached, love the way he directed and ran his offense. No matter what year it was, it was run and gun, baby. Get up and down the court. It was fun basketball to watch. He allowed the kids to get out and do what they loved. You know, you looked at all the players. You hear all the players talk about UNC. They talk about Roy Williams. They talk about how much fun it was to play basketball for him, not just as an individual, but just his style. He just allowed kids to be kids and go out and play basketball the way that they wanted to play. So it was really, I got him as number three. Number two. Yeah, and you and you would have had him higher too. Uh, you still own those U- UNC shorts. You're just a homer when it comes to UNC. But yeah, yeah, you can't knock you can't knock his 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 stats. Uh, I just uh, uh, maybe it's maybe I played the other card. I'm not a big UNC fan, and that's why he didn't make my top five. So there well, you go. There you go. Well, hey, I didn't have Bayheim in the top in the top uh, top yep. five. Yep. So you got to give me some credit there. I will. But impressive that that guy's uh, made had all these wins in such a historic program with uh, running that zone for so long, right? So oh, I know. I know. Uh, number two, you went through it, 10 championships. Uh, what else can you say? Absolutely. Probably the greatest dynasty in sports, period. Better, better than the Yankees, better than the Patriots, better than Real Madrid, Barcelona, whatever major franchise you want to look at, the Lakers, Celtics, whoever, UCLA Bruins, John Wooden number two as my all-time coach. And how could you not have the best coach of all time as the coach? That oh. Coach K, the number one coach of all time. 1,170 total wins as a coach, period. You said the number as a head coach. 97 and 30 Dutch in the NCAA tournament. 78, 78% winning percentage. Five total championships as a coach for as a head. Coach K is my number one. Well, I can't argue, but but and I like your picks. Obviously, we had a couple different in there, uh, and it's always nice to throw some of these uh, together. No arguments here. Uh, it was good. It was good. Nice to see what you had. I I not necessarily. I don't know if I could put K uh, up ahead of Wooden there. I just you know those the the championships to me are a little bit more important than the the overall. I mean, ten national championships is just something to you know. It's just just an absolute absolute. You know, it's like you said, you, you started looking at all the other titles and looking at all the other dynasties. It's pretty hard to uh, don't know how to have them there. But, hey, you had them too, and, and you made the argument for Coach K, so it's all good. Yeah, and that's and you know what? That's one of the reasons why guys like Huggins and Bayheim fall down my list, right? You know, you know, you look at Bayheim, I think he's got one, maybe two. Yeah. Um, but I, I know he's got one for sure, but I, I don't think he's got two. Huggins doesn't have one, period, even though he's eighth all-time and wins. You know, he's done some great things for the programs he's been, um, he's led. But, you know, to me, you can't be in the top five, top 10 if you, if you haven't won the, won the Natty, you haven't won the national championship. Right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's why all my guys were in their minimum three championships for sure. Yep. And, the, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't be afraid, listeners, to look on that women's side. There's some hell of some basketball coaches. We mentioned a few. You've got, uh, uh, Gino there from UConn as well yep. to throw in there. So some phenomenal uh, coaches on the women's side. And um, don't be afraid to look on that side as well. NHL, Dutch, let's flip over to the NHL. The deadline is fast approaching. We talked about it last week. We feel what we've got some 
clear buyers and sellers. I don't think that's changed in uh, in the last week. I think you can add a few more teams to the to the seller market, i.e. Calgary. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, i.e. Calgary, i.e. Calgary. You can put them in there. Maybe even put the Los Angeles Kings in there as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, what do you what do you think is going to happen with this deadline? You think it's going to be old school deadline because you know uh, you know you're listening around today um, with some of the podcasts and some of the 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 networks out there talking about usually by this point you know you look at even at the brian burke era with the leafs and and some of these other teams that they've already made a deal or two moving into the deadline a week out here uh, we haven't had anything it's been stone cold silent nobody's moved anywhere is this just going to be a complete dud or is this going to be an absolute dumpster fire and it's going to be like an old deadline i.e 2003 before all these networks made it into bigger than what it needed to be where there's tons of movement, tons of stuff going on. What do you think? I think it's going to be a big dud. And, and, and I think, you know, and I, I, I hate using it, but I, I think just the COVID protocols and everything that's going on, even with them trying to, or even with them getting approval to bump up that seven day um, quarantine for American teams coming to Canadian teams. I just think that, that it's, it's, I know it's still a business, but it's it's awful hard to move these guys around during what's going on in the world, and and unless it makes complete sense for everybody, um, I just don't see there being that crazy, crazy uh, changes. There'll be some guys. I mean, obviously Taylor Hall uh, didn't even dress tonight, so you know that's uh, that's definitely the case. They're just waiting to figure out where they're going to go. Um, latest rumor for the for the lease would be. Um, Kyle Palmieri from the Devils, which I think would be a hell of a fit. Um, so there's some talk there. Um, you know, you also, look at, also heard David Savard as well. Yep, yep. You look at Calgary now, right? I mean, they've they've got to be sellers now, right? They keep talking about it. We saw the we saw the Leafs uh, Calgary in the last two nights, and they talked about it a lot in the broadcast about you know um, this isn't the system for uh, for Sutter, but you know they're trying to play. I mean, you start looking at like you know could could a guy like Sam Bennett could he be yep. a He'd be a hot, hot trade market. He's uh, there's some rumors out there with him. Um, but Dutch, but Dutch, I'll, I'll stop you right there for a quick sec. Who's gonna want that guy, right? Like two, two, two and a half million dollars. He's what? He's barely above double digits in points. And I know, you, I know, you, you can argue, hey, it's it's not the system. He's not enjoying himself. He's not giving it at all. But, but really, how how hot is that market gonna be for a Sam Bennett? Like. Are we looking at a contender just trying to add a, a third line guy, a third line center to to come in and and plug the hole for the playoff type of thing? Is that what we're well, thinking? Yeah, it's hard, right? Because you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, he's produced pretty pretty well since uh, Sutter's taken over, but yeah. maybe he's producing because he wants out, or maybe you know maybe he's trying to fit in. Yes, you're right. Is he a is he a top you know four or five uh, forward on a team? I I don't know. I don't think so. Um, and that's why I think when you start looking at some of these. Um, you, you start looking at some of these big name players or anybody that's out there, and and there's just really not much you know to go. Um, you know where's Hall gonna go? Um, Boston. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm hearing too. Yeah, it sounds like a, you know he and he he'd be a great fit to to pair up with uh, with Cre- uh, David Krejci, and I think that would be a great fit for him. Although you know who knows? I mean the guy's been on 17 teams it seems like in the last five years, so. You know where's he going to fit in? That's the that's the biggest key. Um, I I just don't see anything crazy going on, um, unless you see something like a you know you look what happened in L.A. just uh, the other night there with uh, 
with Drew Doughty calling out his teammate and he's furious. Now that doesn't mean he wants to be traded, but you know, LA's fell back in the standings significantly and they, they look like they're going to fall out of the playoffs completely. So, you know, will they get rid of some, you know, will they dump some cap? Will they, you know, which way are they going to go over these next 20 games? Yeah. You know, and and you start to work through it with some of the sellers and, and that's, you know, you throw them into the the Columbus and the Phillies and the Chicago's. Um, but do you see a team? You know, what what is Ottawa going to do? Are they going to stay firm with their young guns and try to you know just develop and and move forward? Detroit Detroit's got some pieces there, man. They got you know, Glenn Denning, Bobby Ryan. You know, you look at it, Mark Stahl. They got some some pieces that somebody could try to grab here to try to add to their team not you know like you said there's no real you know big big names like what, what's about maddie duchene probably a, a, a one of the bigger names you nailed it hall um ryan ellis maybe but there, you know it's i feel it's one of those markets that's just going to be grabbing grabbing guys and and putting them into their nine through 12 four or forward spot or seven through 12 forward spots a fourth fifth sixth seventh defenseman and, and i know these guys are important in deep playoff runs but you know, I think I got to agree with you. There's just no big sexy trade out there that's going to kind of blow the market off the blow the top off the market, right? Yeah, I see. I see less than a dozen dozen trades, maybe maybe a couple more that that are just like you know, just quiet little things that that nobody will even talk about. But I just can't see there being anything big coming out of this in this uh, in the next couple of days here before the before the deadline. I just can't see anything happening and. Um, you, you're you're really starting to see it shape up, and and this this next stretch is going to be uh, is going to be wild, and especially with you know what happened to the Vancouver Canucks and and how they're just in in disarray, and like this schedule is going to go longer than what everybody thought. So who knows how long this actual playoffs is going to go? I mean, they're going to be going late, late, late into the summer again. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen, but I really think it's going to be quiet on the home front for sure when it comes to this deadline. Yeah, the the only I had a couple kind of players in at one position spot that I wanted to ask you about, Dutch. The goaltending market. Everybody's always looking for a goalie, always looking for a veteran goalie. Do you think this might be a little niche in the market where guys like Bernier and Devin Dubnik and a John a veteran Jonathan Quick, where teams like um, Colorado, um, Vegas, they may want to pick up just have that insurance policy where, you know, a true contender, a Toronto, let's say somebody that really feels they're a true contender. Um, you know, I know Florida's pretty happy with their, with their goaltending situation. Uh, Carolina might want to grab one of these goalies. Do you think that might be a part of the market that could get hot and you could see three or four of those veteran goalies kind of move maneuver around? It, it, it could happen, but I, I don't think so, Ginger. I don't think so. It's, it's not like, it's not like that that football quarterback where you you know you need to have a, a a legitimate backup when it comes to certain circumstances as they as they're moving into playoffs and that obviously you don't you know they don't go out and make a, a trade for you know a backup to Brady per se but you know it's hard to make trades for goaltenders um, but you're right you could you could see a guy like quicker Bernier move to a team like that but I think where where it stands is is, is you're, you're gonna you're just gonna ride your hot goalies the only team that I see that that maybe goes out and and tries to snag a goalie for a run would be would be a Boston believe it or not uh, and that's just because of what's going on there and they've got some injury problems going on and they're they're just trying to figure out who the heck's going to play in that right now yeah. um 
that, that doesn't mean that it's going to be that way come playoff time. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm making those moves. No, I'm I'm not I'm not making that move unless I'm getting it for real cheap, real real cheap for like a six round pick or something like that, and and just using it as an insurance policy as a backup. Yeah, and I guess you know what with the fifty six games, you know that's twenty six less games. You know, so that's you know twenty to twenty two games that you're your your starters and doesn't have to play now so that's that's almost an that could be an almost an entire stanley cup run right so agree um, so yeah. yeah you might not need to ha- that that backup goalie spot might be a little bit devalued you're right when you start to start to look at it and break it down yeah well, absolutely but in in any event before we before we go to break you know let's let's quickly get off a trade deadline and just talk about those hmm those Toronto Maple Leafs again and uh your, your boy, your boy, your boy, Austin Matthews, back in the top five again and scoring. Oh, come on. Yeah, come you know on. what? I wasn't going to bring this up. They but... Hey, the, the Leafs are back on a roll. We all know it. No Anderson, no problem. Campbell just, you know, bro- broke his broke a little record there uh, with a, with another win last night. Uh, Hutchison's came in and done a good job, and the Leafs are back rolling again. Uh, they seem to be um, – We'll use that the word that everybody always says. They're firing on all cylinders. They're the, that's that cliche, but they're 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 looking real good again, and they've got a massive lead now. I think they're six to six or seven points up in in their division now, and uh, they're 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 trending majorly upward to uh, you know being one of the top in the in the league again. So um, so bite your tongue a little bit. It's not over yet, and and I really like the way they're rolling. Uh, well, I'll start with Matthews. Don't you worry. McKinnon's on fire. Crosby's rekindled something. So. He will fall to exactly where I had him between seven and nine in scoring, where he will always be. You but just... you got to remember, though. You listen. This is will be more of my where I'm going to argue. You know what? This was the year where he, this was his like massive. Uh, I don't want to say coming out party, but he was on a roll, and the only reason why it slowed down is because he got hurt. And you know it, and I know it. He had an injury there that was undisclosed, and for those eight, nine games there, he played hurt, and he couldn't, he could barely shoot, and that's the reason why he dropped in the standings. And now he's back, feeling healthy again. And you know, yeah, okay, band aid or not a band aid, stay healthy, when, stay healthy. When, yeah, and when he's healthy, he's 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 arguably top five in the league, and and that'll be the the argument we'll always have. We'll have to get on our good friend Pat Colucci to to call you out again on this one. Oh, there you go, there you go. I'd love to have Pat on anytime. So. Um, but yeah, no, no doubt. And, and, and the tough part here uh, with the, with the playoff run Dutch, like you're talking about is, is that, you know, almost half the divisions, like you look at, you look at that Northern division of the Gord Downey, whatever Northern division, it, it's locked up. Like Toronto's playing Montreal and, and uh, Winnipeg's playing um, Edmonton. Like it's, it's pretty much, if you were, like- you were betting, that's pretty much what it's going to be. Montreal's got the potential with some games in hand here to, to make the two, three, four, an interesting, somewhat of an interesting run. But I agree with, with 18 games left here, 19 games, whatever, however number each team has, um, you know, I don't see a whole lot changing in a few of these divisions up top there, Tampa, Florida, Carolina, they could kind of maneuver around, but you know, to me, the playoffs is, is almost 80, 85% set. We know the teams that are going to be in there. It's just a matter of what the matchups are going to be at this point. Absolutely, and I'm getting excited as uh, you know as we're getting ready to open the golf course. I'm uh, I'm excited for for some playoff hockey, and um, it should be good. It should be good all the way through. And let's hope the Leafs can win a round uh, or two, and we can make some noise and not uh, mess up all the uh, the COVID lockdowns and uh, and take 
five million people and go down to downtown Toronto and party like rock stars when they uh, when they win the cup. Ah, uh, that would be something else. So, well, let's end it there. We'll uh, we'll shift off the break, and I hope everybody enjoys a little segment there from the Ginger and Dutch podcast. And we'll catch you back from break. You're listening to another episode of Excellence by Ginger and Dutch. friends welcome back from break i hope you enjoyed a little segment from the ginger and dutch podcast <laughs> it is masters week here we are dutch i got a good giggle out of there for you we are we are back it's the masters it's the preview before we get into the masters let's tie a bow on the valero texas open give a shout out to patty tava tava tana tana tama tava cut um no, I didn't stutter. That was her name, the Thailand young gal from Thailand with her first major at the AN, ANA Inspiration. So well yep, done to her. Pretty great Brooke. stuff there. Pretty great yep. stuff. Brooke with a great finish. Dutch, Spieth gets the win. What do you think of uh, the Valero? Oh, man. You know what? Spieth, we were a couple of weeks. We should have just kept riding them. I've never seen somebody so determined um, in my life watching that PGA Tour. Obviously, you know, besides the Tiger Woods per se. Uh, Spieth was, was just lost for, for years, for a few years there, and, and he just turned it around. And that guy's played, it seems like he's played every tournament the past 10 weeks, and he's been in every tournament, and he's just marching his way up. And I'm all excited to, to maybe give him a pick for the Masters because he's won there, and you and I both know that, you know, there's usually, it's usually repeat winners. It's real hard to to win at that masters and you need to play it many, many times. And so I was so pumped to see him. It's great for the game. Uh, amazing to see Spieth win. I wish we had him in our picks. We, we did have a couple good picks uh, in, uh, in uh, Ryan Palmer and uh, Kuchar. Um, other than that, uh, we didn't hit the win column. I think that's the first time in a long, long time that there was no cash a for, uh, for the Dutchman. Um, but other than that, it was a, it was a good, good event, good tournament and, and onward and upward. I'm looking forward to, uh, the, you know, the best weekend in golf. Yeah, it's uh, it's the start of the spring. It's back into its regular time slot. There will be about 20% of the fans they are calling for uh, anywhere. Usually a typical Masters, um, the patrons would be about forty to 50,000 strong. Rumor has it there's nothing I could find. I don't know if you were looking, Dutch, but there's nothing I can find on a definitive answer as to how many patrons will be out there. Uh, on Thursday, but what we're hearing is about 20%. So they're expecting, I think, between ten and 12,000 um, out there. So we'll see how that looks. They've got their COVID protocol, but uh, it'll be nice to get some patrons out there and get some traditional Masters uh, roars uh, here uh, as we move throughout the Masters week. Speaking of traditions, man, I just wish that they would break that tradition, and that's the patrons. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on this they're fans they're fans why do they have to be called patrons i, I you know I, I it's the same thing with the butler cabin and 
and, and Nance in there and everything. I mean, listen, I know there's some cool, I love the green jacket traditions. I love it all. And I know I'm going to get harped on by, by guys like Chester and a few of our other uh, PGA pros about this, but I just, sorry, I'm just, it's a tournament. It's the best tournament of the year. No doubt. I've been there. We always talk about it. It's, it's, I would, I would probably never play golf again if I got to play there, but get rid of some of those, those other traditions, man. They're fans. They're not patrons. <laughs> sorry. I had to throw that in there. Oh, I love it. Well, move over to the golf course side. What we're hearing, it's going to play real firm and fast. We're going to get a, a, a little renaissance here of, you know, 2012, 2013. The golf course is, uh, is fiery out there from what we are hearing. So that'll be uh, real interesting because it can get real tough to access some of these pins, uh, especially on the weekend. Yeah, uh, in, it's going to be really, really of... hot there too, eh? It's going to be really, really hot. They're 28 to 30 uh, all week long. Yeah. What do you, does, does that make it advantageous for anybody? Is it, does that allow the bombers to bomb it even further and have even shorter clubs in uh, to, the, to these flag sticks, some of these tucked flag sticks touch? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily the Bombers because you saw Bryson last year, uh, you know, that he was the talk of the town uh, going into that event. And then, uh, you know, and then another fellow Bomber and, and DJ uh, ran away with it and his uh, dominating win for his first green jacket. Um, they all hit it so far. Listen, what's the difference between 320 and 350 um, around Augusta? Honestly, I don't think much. I really don't. There's, there's no, you know, 300 yard hole where they can drive it. Yeah. There's a couple of the holes there where, where they can get up to that front collar um, as far as a, off of the tee for a drive, but you, you start looking at the holes and everybody knows the holes in order from start to finish without any rough out there, you know, as long as you keep the ball on the bloody planet, it's, it's, it's he in this event who, who has the, 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 the most success with creative shots wins this tournament you need to have a great putter you need to have an awesome short game you know you look when bubble won. you look at all the the historic shots you look with with uh, phil mickelson when he won you just look at some of these guys and the creativity it's really in my opinion who's on who's hot right now and and, and i'll get to it with my picks but where these guys can win um and there are probably only as as brooks would always say and that's Brooks Kepka, who would always say, probably only got 20 guys that can win this tournament. Yeah. So, so you start looking at those guys, well, put a throw them, put them in there and you got to take out at least 10 of them because they're not playing well right now. And then you've got 10 guys that you could probably all throw in there, 10 to 14 guys. And then you're going to have one or two of these no names, like, you know, when Danny Willow won, um, who's the guy I'm thinking of, Matisse. You know, there's always that story that could happen. We haven't had that for a long time, Ginger, so you just never know. My thing is, is there's just too many damn good guys and too many good young guys and, you know, in, in the guys that we always talk about with like the Hovlands and, and Homa and Morikawa and Wolf and all these guys, they're all playing in this event. So it'll be interesting to see um, how this starts, but Look out for some fireworks early. I think uh, you could see a, a real, real low score to start the uh, the tournament. I think somebody's going to post like a nice uh, eight under or something, seven, eight under on day one here. Yeah, and that that's what makes this event interesting to me. And you touched on it is the fact that there are a lot of question marks going into it. You know, you had this big run with with um, the shamble last year, and and you know the golf course being a par sixty eight or sixty seven, and you know he's a question mark. 
you know, we haven't st- seen DJ show strong form in yep. the last three to four weeks. McElroy's a big question mark. All uh, three of those guys were on my list to say the exact same thing. You nailed it, man. You absolutely nailed it. Like Ke- Kepka with the knee. What's going on with him? John Rom just had a baby this week. How's that going to affect him? Um, you know, so all the, you, you take your, your big guns of those top eight and there's a lot of question marks in there, which kind of leads you to that next step of guys, like you said, from nine to 20, that can one of those guys step up and, and take home a green ja- jacket. To me, it's, it makes for a real interesting um, masters, almost a la um, when Nicholas and Freddie and some of those guys, you know, many moons back were a little bit older and a little bit longer in the tooth, but you knew, you know, you had the young guns and Tiger and Duvall and Phil, but you also knew that at some point Jack would, would make a run or um, Freddie would be there for three or four rounds. It almost feels like we're back into that era a little bit, but instead of having the older guys making the run, could it be this year, the younger guys, the Morikawa's, the Hovlands, like you said, could they make the run this year? Yeah, no, no doubt for sure. You're still going to see, a, you're going to, no more Sandy Lyle though, Ginger, no more Sandy Lyle. Oh, but yeah, I can't, I can't put on Sandy Lyle in my, in my master's pool. No, I know you've done it many a years and you've uh, been rewarded, but no, you're not going to see one of those guys do it. I don't even think you'll see a, a, a Freddie. You might see Freddie, you know, post a two under or something on the first day. That's just because that's what he does. But what about uh, a Bernard, you're right. Bernard Longer? Do you, Bernard Longer, you're giving him any hope? Yeah, I give him hope for two rounds, but the golf course is just too tough for them to walk and too tiring for them, and they just don't have the legs. So ultimately, they just cannot, um, you know, get the job done. So no, it, it's going to be, you know, from that core group. I think, um, you know, you can't out, you can't count out the Europeans. They've got a strong contingent going this year as well. And even though I don't have any of them in my picks, there's, you know, there's a bunch of guys. I can't see Westwood doing it. I mean, we, we, he can't even win on the PJ, let alone a major. So, um, but he's a top good. You got Casey as well. Um, there's a few other young bucks that are there. It's going to be a, a real good field. How about Sergio Garcia? He's won there before. He's been playing pretty good golf. Um, I would have loved to have taken Spieth, but I, you, you, we all know how tough it is to win on the tour, let alone win back to back. I can't remember. I don't even know. I, I, I should have got, looked up that set. I can't remember if anybody's won the tournament before and then came in and won the Masters. I, I don't know if it's ever happened, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'd have to look it up, but I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Yeah, but let's let's fire into our picks here, Dutch, and I'm I'm just gonna just tell you to to slow down a little bit there don't don't say those two that name so loud okay sergio garcia 50 to 1 4 to 1 on a top 10 bet on on bet 365 folks tied eighth at the w at the match play t9 at the players t30 at the workman wgc he missed this event last year due to covid He's excited to get back. He, for the first time in 21 years, he had to miss it last year. He won in 2017. I'm taking Sergio as my long shot pick, dark horse of the week at Augusta. I think Sergio is going to be there this weekend. I, I can't disagree with you. I, I love that pick, and uh, he didn't he didn't crack mine. I got a I got a cool uh, long shot as well, but he didn't crack mine. So let's do it a little bit differently. I'll give you my long shot now, and then I'll let you go back to your kind of next. Uh, um steady pick okay fire away so i think that at 53 to 1 
He's been playing very, very good golf right now, and I think he feels very, very comfortable there. He finished T10 last year. He's been fortunate enough this year to just recently come off playing a practice round with a Masters winner in Mike Weir. He also played with Mackenzie Hughes, by the way, and that's our Team Canada and Corey Connors, I just think that he's ripe for it. I, I don't know if he's going to win, I, or I don't think he can win, I should say, but I I think he's going to be in the mix, and he might be your day one leader. And that's Corey Connors at 53-1. to one. I love it. Well, I went with the team world approach, and uh, my rock steady pick is a guy, you know what? Um, he's rock steady at this event. 2018, he was T9. 2019, he was T32. And uh, 2020, last year, he was T13. So he's always in the mix here. He is a great iron player. He's, he's, shown, he's shown well. He was T30 quietly at, at Valero, T15 at the, uh, the AIP, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and T13 at the WGC Workday. He's shown some good form, 45 to 1. I'm taking slow and steady on the backswing with irons like darts, and that is Hideki Matsuyama. As my wow, pick of the week. That came out of nowhere. I'm okay with that. That came out of nowhere. I never, never thought you were going to go down that road. He's been quiet and nobody really talks to talks about it for sure. So nothing wrong with that pick at all. Nothing wrong with that pick. I'm going to go with a guy who who he's been under the radar completely, and 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 you just even haven't heard his name at all um, in the past few weeks. He's just kind of just ducking around and and you know maybe not playing the the the, the best golf, but He's always in the mix um, in, in these events. Uh, he's currently 20 to 1. In 2019, he was T2 there, believe it or not. And last year, he was T17. And that's Team Callaway, the X Man, Xander Shoffley. Yeah, he has been quiet the last few weeks. Nice pick. I like it. All right. All right. What do you got for your big gun? If we, well, got, the you one, I'll, I'll, if we got the same one, I'll laugh. No, he's. He, I, I told you, I'm not taking any of those big guns. I'm staying away. I'm going off the radar, trying to provide some value for our listeners. And you want to talk about quiet, and you want to talk about under the radar. He was the first guy in the media tent this week, soft-spoken, goes about his business. You know I'm what? He Callaway guy. No, no, I don't think he is. Oh, no. But, but, but he, uh, he showed well on the West Coast Swing at Pebble and Riviera. He hasn't been playing all that well lately. But I like his form at Augusta. He's been playing practice rounds with the man you talked about and Fred Couples gaining some great course knowledge, especially when this golf course is firm and fast. He hasn't he talked about he hasn't had the opportunity to play it this fiery. T nine in two thousand nineteen, T seventeen last year, and that is Mr. Patrick Cantley. Patrick Cantley is my big gun pick of the week. He's twenty to one. And he's, and, he, and he's team Callaway. Absolutely. I knew that. That's who I thought you were picking. Yeah. See, okay. Cantley's, Cantley's Callaway all day, buddy. All day. There we go. All day. Well, mine's easy. It's simple. There's really nothing to be said. He is the best player on, on the, on the tour right now. Um, he's fresh off, which everybody knows he took a couple weeks off. If this one's the only, the only catch here is, is that he just came off the players championship. Um, he's one of the favorites in the field. He's my top dog. He's 11 to one. 
he's if you look at his his his, his marks there, T twelve in two thousand nineteen, T four in the fall time that just passed, T seventeen in two thousand eighteen. So the last three years he's been two um, he's been in the top twenty. He's so due to win a major. He's playing top form golf, and you gotta go with him. And that's Justin Thomas. I'm riding him all the way. I know it's uh, you know I know it's only eleven to one, but we all know how hard it is to pick golf. And I just think uh, I think it's his time. I like it. I like it. That's a good mixture of picks. Good value for our listeners. Um, enjoy the Masters, folks. It's going to be a great week. Teeing off Thursday morning. Like Dutch said, the weather looks good. We'll be able to finish it on time. And uh, enjoy. Dutch? What else, yeah, what buddy. else can I say? What else can I say? Hey, what a what a ride. You know what? I'm, we, we, we ended it with the uh, – while well, we ended the, the – the the showcase with the masters uh, one day we're going to go down to that masters together and we're going to enjoy it and we'll be talking about these podcasts uh, down the road and we'll be talking about uh, our picks and, and 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 the course and and just how things uh th- how things have evolved over these uh, over this past year so it's been a pleasure you know i'm not going anywhere you'll hear my voice on here folks uh, absolutely i uh, wish you all the best there mr ginger uh, I can't wait to see what the future brings with this podcast. I know you'll uh, you'll knock it out of the park like you always do, and uh, and I'll be back for uh, from time to time on some uh, on some cool shows as well. Awesome for all of our listeners out there. Uh, stay tuned. We're gonna take a couple weeks off. We're gonna relaunch it, and uh, we'll be back at the end of April. And uh, stay tuned on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for all the upcoming new news that we have coming out with everything going on. And uh, make sure you're following along. And Dutch, I guess we'll catch you on the flip side. You got it, brother. Thanks for tuning in to the Ginger and Dutch podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch.